Do you want to make games? Join the WVU Game Developers Club. They meet every Thursday at 6.30 in the Evansville Crossing, room 412. No primary experience is necessary. They help you make your first game, regardless of what background you have. Uh, everyone is welcome. You can check them out on Twitter at WVUGDC. Also check out their Facebook page. We hope to see you there. Hey, and welcome to Game Talk Episode 12. I'm your host, Amid Mion. I'm joined by Connor Haynes. Hey, guys. And Michael Dumeyer. Hello. And we're going to start this week off by talking about high-end VR, more specifically the HTC Vive. So there's a reason I want to talk about the Vive, and it's because I just had my first experience with the Vive, um, and it was pretty transformative. It blew my mind, even though I have played PlayStation VR extensively. Uh, after I experienced this, I definitely thought this is on a whole other plane, like a whole different echelon of like immersive gameplay. Really? Yeah. Have either of you two played the Vive or the Oculus? I have had a Vive on my head briefly, but played is definitely a strong word. It was more like just long enough to like walk around the room a little bit. Okay. I don't even think I had the hand controls. Mm-hmm. Michael? I've never touched a Vive or an Oculus. Have you tried VR in general ever? Yes. I've tried PSVR and uh, uh, right, okay. VR. Both of you have tried PlayStation VR. So, okay, the best way I can describe it, imagine just the experience you had in PlayStation VR, but just everything from, like, the fidelity of, like, what you see to just the smoothness of the experience amplified immensely. So, um... For a little bit of context, last weekend I went to all, uh, I went to Columbus, Ohio, with my friend, and we checked out a VR arcade. Ooh! And it was pretty expensive, but I will say it was worth it. So it was something like they had a bunch of Vive set up, right? And you could pay to like rent one of the stations out for however much time. So we paid like thirty bucks for thirty minutes. God. Yeah, it was pretty expensive, but it was insane, like, the experience. <clears throat> and there's a few reasons as to why I think this was much more potent to me than PlayStation VR. One is definitely the motion controls. Way more precise, way more uh, just natural feeling. Like, they felt more like extensions of my hands. Yeah, I noticed with the PlayStation VR that, like, I could tell when my hands went behind my body or something right. because they would lose tracking and stuff. But yeah. I, I thought the PlayStation VR was actually pretty accurate. It was, but then I tried this and I was like, this is way, way better. It's just I didn't even have to think of them as controllers. They just felt like extensions of my hands. Wow. And the second component of it was the the sort of freedom in freedom of movement, right? So like Oculus and PlayStation VR kind of have you tethered and you're not really supposed to be moving much. Um, when you do those. But with the Vive, there's like this whole bounding box where you can move freely around because the tracking is so accurate on the helmet. And that really was a game changer to me. It definitely felt more like I was existing in the virtual world than it did with the PlayStation uh, VR because I wasn't just sitting there looking around. I was actually moving and interacting. How big was your play space? Because I've heard that you need... It was pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, um, several, it was like several feet by several feet. So you could actually walk steps yeah. in I've heard any Vive direction. claim that like it takes very little to get the experience, but it just seems to me like 
you would be really shooting yourself in the foot if you bought this and put it in a small play area. Right, no, you definitely need a wide-ish area to fully experience this. So, like, I tried it out, and they had several games, like, loaded on their whatever they were using. And one game in particular, it wasn't even a game, I would say. It was more of, like, an experience. It was, so it was just basically, I don't know if you guys have played it, but it was called, like, Tower or something. Whatever, the name doesn't matter. But the idea is that you start out, you get in an elevator, and then you go up to, like, the highest floor building of this, like, giant skyscraper. Oh, yeah, I've seen this, right? yeah. So when you get to the top, like, the roof of the building, there is a plank just jutting out into the open. And so you, the idea is you walk onto the plank and you look down and you see, like, buildings and cars and people below you. And... The experience, like the the vibe, the experience the vibe provided, was so real. My brain, like, fought against my body to take steps forward onto that plank. Wow. Like each step had to be deliberate, and I had to make myself do it. Because even though physically I knew, like, this is I'm just like in a room right now. I probably look really weird to everyone around me, but like my brain was telling me, do not take any more steps forward. I had to like force myself to do it. Wow. And just the fact that like. That had so much control over me is mind-blowing to me. Especially considering the fact that we're still in generation one of VR technology. Right, right yeah. That's like, what I've been holding off for is I've been waiting for generation and two. And I feel like generation two must be around the corner. It's been like over a year, right? Right. It has so been. the technology is already that good to trick our minds like that. It just blows it just it it amazes me and excites me to think where it could go in the future. Um, but to just sort of finish off that story, so, like, I stepped on out onto the plank, and the guy who was, like, supervising was just like, you should try stepping off the plank. I was like, okay. So, like, I put one foot out, and then, like, immediately put it back. Like, stepping off was definitely way harder than going onto the plank. Yeah. But when I finally did it, like, nothing happened. I just, like, stepped off and, like, was just floating there. And then I just suddenly just dropped. Oh. And then I felt my stomach drop. And I actually, like, crouched down. Like, I w- wanted to curl up, like, as if I was actually falling, like, as a defense mechanism. Yeah. As I approached the ground, I felt I- my stomach was in my throat. And I actually yet let out, like, a little yell. I, like, I-, I yelled because, like, just the adrenaline of the moment. Because I was, my brain was expecting an impact. Yeah. But obviously, yeah, I hit nothing, the yeah. hit. I hit the ground. Um, the screen actually went white, which was kind of creepy. I guess it simulated death. <laughs> but so like everything just went white. But like obviously, I didn't feel anything or anything like that. But my brain experienced all of that. And it, afterwards, I was just like, "Oh my god, this is the craziest VR thing I've ever done." And it's such a shame because I don't think the PlayStation VR or the Oculus could provide something like that. Because you're supposed to be completely stationary when you use those things. And the whole idea of this one is to willingly move somewhere where your brain doesn't want you to go and experience something. See, the um, the Oculus Rift actually has an expansion now that you can attach to it so that it can do room scale. Oh, like I didn't know one. that. Yeah, it does. That's really cool. It, uh, I think it brings the total up to like 450 bucks. Yeah, that's not bad. Like, uh, yeah, uh, all VRs had a price drop recently. I think yeah. the Vive is six hundred dollars now, and the all Oculus VRs Rift is I think except for the PlayStation VR, which makes sense. Like it was when PlayStation cheapest, VR yeah. came out, by virtue of it being the cheapest, and like by how many PS4s were out in the wild, it like outsold the other two headsets combined. Oh yeah, 
And now that Oculus is getting more competitive with this pricing, Vive, I don't think so much. HTC, I have heard recently that financially their VR department is not doing great. Right, yeah, I read about that I'm too. not convinced that they're going to continue <coughs> producing VR stuff mm-hmm. for very long, which has me hesitant to buy a Vive, honestly. Right. Well, I think at this point, if you were looking into VR, I would maybe maybe just wait for like the quote unquote Gen two of whatever that's going to be of VR. That's, that's what I'm doing. I almost like after I hear stories like yours, I almost feel pedantic talking about my issues with VR. But like I've heard about the screen door effect, things like that, and like can you the screen door effect is where um, you can see pixels basically because the screen is so oh. close to your face, so you can kind of see a grid over. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I never, you never experienced that. that okay. no. I experienced that with my Google Cardboard, but obviously that's far lower right. resolution. I think the, and I, the I, higher end you go with VR. I felt it just a little bit on your PSVR, but like mm-hmm. after a couple of minutes, I was ignoring it because I was into the game. Yeah, I mean, with the Vive, the refresh rate was so high. like It didn't feel like I was looking at any sort of virtual display at all. It just felt like I was looking around outside or something, you know? Like, yeah. And which obviously that high refresh rate is key to like having a really good experience. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, games are gonna have to adapt because like you know, yeah, 30, thirty frames per second even is like with, the norm right even now. Even with Sony, I was reading in their uh, one of their the slides for the VR conferences when it first came out. They told developers that ninety FPS is the absolute minimum. Oh for yeah. PSVR games and obviously Vive probably targets higher frame rates. I, I think that the Vive is 90 hertz. Oh, really? I mean... Which would make 90 the minimum there, too. Yeah, I could it, be wrong. It, felt, it could be 120. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done 90, obviously, with PSVR, and it feels great for the most part. Right. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to share that story, because, like, when VR first came out, I was a huge proponent of it, and I still am, obviously, but I think uh, the chatter's kind of fallen off a little bit, because... It's it's a great device, but it, there's such a high barrier to entry. You have to have all this technology pre- previously there, like a PlayStation or a high-end PC, as well as the price. But I don't think that should deter anyone because, well, obviously, price is a huge factor. But, like, if you're considering dropping a lot of money on something like this, I would say go ahead and do it because it really is a transformative experience. And I can't wait for more for it to get more mainstream. Right. I feel like I, the this, the games just still aren't there for me, like, to buy it, I feel like. I mean, well, it depends on what you're looking for in a game. Like, those long, like, 40-hour RPGs aren't there, but right. But PlayStation VR has accumulated, like, a huge library of VR games already. In the first year, over 100 games were released. Right, and there's a ton of games on Steam as well for VR, but, mm-hmm. like, a lot of them are just so small, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like... I don't have a problem with a short game. Like, I like a 10-hour experience, maybe, and in VR, I could probably go for less than that just because of the setting. Yeah. But I I don't want to buy a game that I will have experienced everything the game has to offer in 20 or 30 minutes, really. No, I completely understand that. It's not even that I don't want to buy a game like that. It's that I don't want to buy an expensive console to play games like that. Right. But I think the games are coming. Like, for I instance, definitely think they're coming. I think Resident Evil's here. Uh, Doom VFR is coming. And right. Doom VFR looks amazing. I think for the first year or so of development, developers thought of creating like little experiences rather than games. Right. And I, I think that's I like totally they, okay. They I, needed to get stuff out there. Yeah, and they needed to like flex their muscles, kind of, and that's like the perfect way to do it, while supplying like 
the players with bite-sized experiences, they can go to their friends and be like, oh, look at this. This is so incredible. So, like, that's out of the way and done. I, I feel confident in saying that there's probably plenty of really robust VR games in development now. Even when we, uh, just like, anic- like a little anecdote here, when we went to Shell Games and we talked to them, they were like, yeah, over 50% of our team is working on VR games now. And that was like a year ago, right? Right, yeah. So, like, that transition's happened. Like, it's just a matter of time before ga- those games start hitting the market. Right. I got to see the, the fruit of their labor at uh, the Serious Play conference I went to yeah. a couple months ago, and it is very good. Just yeah. Very fun looking stuff. Um, I don't know how much of what I saw is like public. I didn't sign anything, but yeah, yeah. It, it was very good looking. It was like a chemistry game, and it, it was supposed to be educational. Uh, but it, they were targeting like a standard consumer as well, and mm-hmm. it looked incredibly fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely still think a lot of people will disagree with me, but I still think the VR revolution is going to happen. Where like it's just a matter of time before it goes extremely mainstream, and everyone's going to be drinking the VR Kool Aid. Yeah, I mean, I I always tell people you have to see it to believe it. It's just one of those things. Right. It's definitely very fun. Any any other thoughts on VR, guys? I just kind of, I know we've done this topic before, but that experience was just so incredible to me. I wanted to bring it up again and sort of revisit it. Um, just another reason to wait for next generation VR. I believe there are a lot more companies getting in the game, which will mean more competitive pricing. Because uh, you know, the more people. Do you mean companies for actual VR sets? Yes. That's interesting. Like uh, meeting the Steam VR spec, basically, the same way HTC does. Mm-hmm. There are more companies getting in that game. I think Microsoft is trying to get into it. Um, Asus, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I, could be I, wrong. I would believe that. But, yeah, there's definitely competition coming, and competition is very good for technology right. like this. And it- we're already seeing, like, a like a stratification of VR. Like, we have the low end on mobile. We have, like, the mid-tier on console, like, with PlayStation 4, and the high end with Oculus and Vive. And, like, each of those three sort of tiers is just going to get expanded upon as more and more companies come in. So, like, even if you don't want to have the crazy blow-your-mind-to-smithereens high-fidelity VR experience, you could probably just get one for your phone that serves the same purpose. It might not blow your mind, but it's the same concept, and it'll introduce more people to VR. All right, so anything else for VR? Uh, uh, no, I think, I think you covered it well. All right, definitely try it out if you haven't. Um, okay, our next topic is going to be another topic we've actually had before, mobile gaming, specifically focusing on the recently released Animal Crossing mobile. Of the three of us, I think only Connor has played it, so I'll let him give a sort of introduction and then we can chime right. in. Right, so as of recording, it's not actually out. I had to download uh, the APK illegitimately nice. to play it a little bit, okay. but, uh, you know, the things I do for podcasting. So um, the reason I think, it, you know, it's, it's Animal Crossing, so it converted fairly well. They basically took Animal Crossing and they cut a lot of the bloat, I guess. Like, they, they really... I mean, it feels like a full Animal Crossing game in a way. I mean, I it, looking at it so far, the only thing I feel like it's missing is the museum, and I may have just not gotten to that part yet. Uh, but it really feels like a, a beautiful transition of that game. Like, you have your neighbors walking around, you can talk to them, you have, um, you have fishing, collecting fruit, all that junk. It's all there. And uh, I actually, uh, what I want to talk about is how they did their microtransactions. And um, I haven't played it enough to say for sure if this holds true. I think 
that they have put the microtransactions in such a way that it actually reinforces normal gameplay. Like, because Animal Crossing, to me, was always a game where you should walk around and hang out and not, like, not worry about making a million bells an hour and stuff. Like, not try to min-max it and stuff. I felt like I always eventually would optimize the fun out of the game for myself. Mm -hmm. And the way they chose to do microtransactions force you to slow down if you don't want to pay real money. And uh, I think that's brilliant in a way. Mm. Like I, I feel like a lot of people would take the opposite stance, though. Really? Yeah, like if they force you to play a certain way unless you pay. You know, like right. you can see how that sounds kind of bad. Right, but I mean all okay. games are forcing you to play a certain way whether you realize it or not. That's just what games do. I suppose that's true, but when there's like an option that's clearly unlockable by money, that fact becomes very evident and very... I mean, kind it's of not unpalatable. Like, it can't really be a pay-to-win game, though, because you can't win Animal Crossing to begin with. You know, if you know what I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. it's very much just like pay to play more. I guess, like, basically, what you can pay for is to make stuff happen faster. So you okay? It, so like, like a lot of a lot of mobile games have kind of used that paradigm yeah, for m- microtransactions. But I think it just fits Animal Crossing a lot better than it fits a lot of other games because mm-hmm. like. You go, and it used to be you would shake your tree or whatever in an Animal Crossing game, the fruit would fall off, and that would be it. The, that was done for the day. Like, you got that fruit. You couldn't do it anymore. Now you can, like, it shows you a little timer if you want, and it shows you that you have three hours until that tree is going to produce fruit right. again. That's and, a very classic technique. And you could pay to make it produce fruit faster. But, like, you know. Nintendo I, will make a killing from this. Yeah. Like, an oh, absurd yeah. amount of money from this. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just think that, like, I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but, like, to me it seems like it's going to force me to slow down, which is something I wish had been, you know, I, I don't wish it had microtransactions, but I wish that the mainline Animal Crossing games had put more emphasis mechanically into slowing you down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think this is an interesting way to do it, and it kind of, I mean, it's not perfect, but I think it really, you know, two birds with one stone. Right. So I don't have too much to comment on Animal Crossing because I don't really play it, but I do think it's an interesting discussion in that now we have Nintendo that have released, uh, well, it wasn't technically Nintendo, but it's a Nintendo-owned property, Pokemon Go, released by Niantic, uh, Mario Run, and now Animal Crossing. And Fire Emblem. There was a Fire Emblem game? There was a Fire Emblem game for mobile. Fates? Yeah, I think so. Was it an actual, like... It was a Fire Emblem game. Strategy... Like, like a traditional Fire Emblem game? It was, but the microtransactions were to get heroes, basically. So it had, I think it was a loot crate system. Oh, oh I see. Okay. Sort of. And you would get crates by playing the game, or you could buy crates. Okay, great. So, like, Nintendo's put out all these mobile games already with some of their, like, flagship franchises. Right. So they are clearly doubling down on mobile, which is smart. It's the fastest growing market. It's very lucrative. And I'm very happy they're doing it, because I... I mean, Nintendo, uh, in my mind, other than indie games, Nintendo has done the best work in mobile. Other than, like, maybe Minecraft, which is just a port Mm -hmm. of a console game. But, like, they've really, they've carefully, like, they don't just take an intellectual property and put it on mobile. They carefully picked one that they thought they could do something with. Right. You know, like, obviously they had, you know, they had to do Mario, and I think they fairly gracefully transferred him to mobile. I would agree, yeah. And uh, But Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem both stand out to me as just 
genius moves. Yeah, so, like, when we talked about mobile before, I was vehemently against it, and I just straight up hated it. But now, like, in the time that has passed, seeing what Nintendo is doing with mobile, if if big developers and publishers can kind of emulate what they're doing, I would be, like, I wouldn't be as against it. I mean, I think what they're doing with mobile is great and very smart. Uh, the only thing I kind of worry about is, like, how... If like, will it impact their handheld space? And if it does, like, I just, that would be a huge shame to me. I because... don't think it will. Well, okay, so I gotta we we gotta take a two pronged approach if we're talking about how things are gonna impact Nintendo's handheld space, because the Nintendo Switch is a hybrid console. Right. So I think I think Nintendo going forward, it's going to be your Nintendo Switch and your phone. That's that's just the vibe I, I'm getting I right now. I completely would probably think that's true, especially since they're like emphasizing the Nintendo app and stuff for the Switch online. Their l- official language kind of confuses me, though. They still act as if the Switch is a console, and they still act as if their handheld line is completely separate. Which I guess they might just be doing that because the 3DS is still a thing, and they don't want to sort of cannibalize its like its sales and its appeal. And maybe once 3DS sales fall off and they stop manufacturing them, they're just like, okay, Switch is the handheld. I mean, yeah, I, I, and I'm pretty console. sure at first they acted, they tried to act like the 3DS <laughs> wasn't replacing the DS at one point. Okay, like they so released like, the this DS might just be a ni- yeah, it's Nintendo. A, it's a very ism. Nintendo move. Yeah, they just do that. Yeah. So, and and you can already see them sort of doubling down on mobile technology, like with the Switch. I know it's not a very popular choice, but their like their game chat is done through mobile they don't have like uh right and i thought that was horrible at first but now that i'm seeing like if they can do integration with apps in their games correctly like a lot of games have tried to do integration with a mobile app or something right yeah and i don't think anybody's really done it well yet but if anybody's going to it's nintendo right right and and if they pull this off right like we'll all look like fools because we cursed them earlier for doing this but if they do it right, they just they prove that they were just looking for forward into the future and seeing things more clearly than the rest of us were. Right, and it wouldn't be the first time Nintendo did that, but if they fail, it wouldn't be the first time Nintendo right. did that either. Yeah, Nintendo's a real kind of wild card when it comes to that sort of situation. But that's one reason I love them so much. They take the risks. Like, whether they're good or bad, they just deal with the consequences. But they do take the risks, and they do try to innovate. Michael, do you have anything to say about this? Uh, not really. <laughs> okay. I, not a big Nintendo guy, I guess. Yeah, I only had time to play uh, Animal Crossing for like 20 minutes or so before I came here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my only complaint was that it's a lot of tutorial going through. That seems to be a stable for a lot of Nintendo games. But yeah. I, I I have a question for you guys. Obviously, Nintendo is seeing probably how well these mobile games are doing and thinking, okay, what other franchises could translate really well to mobile? I think... Obviously, Pokemon, like a mobile Pokemon RPG style game, would would be absolutely nuts. I don't think um, they'll. I don't think that'll ever happen. Why not? I because they said they were developing for the Switch. They're developing the next mainline Pokemon game for the Switch, but I could see, like a I think like a mobile version as I, well. I think maybe not for the next one, but for the iteration after that. I think it's more likely for you to get a companion app for your new Pokemon game, where like. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't need to have your Switch on you, but you could trade Pokemon on your phone or something. Oh, that would be really or cool. Or maybe like yeah. a Pokemon Amy style thing that you can have on your phone. Yeah, just... the, the possibilities really are endless. Like, I just it's think... such a it's such a tool for like a creative force like Nintendo to use. But I think in 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 releasing the Animal Crossing game, they just released. They're making a strong statement that they are not making their franchises continue on mobile. They're making Standalone, yeah, standalone. Yeah. Like, there, it's it's a spinoff more right. than it yeah. is the actual game. Like, they didn't make a Mario game; they made Mario Run. They didn't make an Animal Crossing game; they made an Animal Crossing yeah. camping game. They seem very they're very adept at taking their kind of like established IP and like reformat reformatting them to appropriately fit the mobile platform. Right, and they've very intelligently like thematically done it too. Yeah. Like, a campsite is smaller than a town, and that's, like, the obvious, like, that just seems so obvious right. to me now that they've done it, but I, it never crossed my mind before. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm interested to see, like, obviously Sony and Microsoft sees this, and they're thinking and R&Ding things, but Nintendo's sort of the only one that's really acted on it. I can't think of any Sony or Microsoft big IPs on mobile right, right, right off the top of my head. I'm sure they're coming, though. We'll see how well those do. Yeah, I just hope that. Well, I mean, I mean, let's face it. Handheld gaming's pretty much done, though. Aside from the Switch, like you're never gonna see another PlayStation handheld, and you'll never see a Microsoft handheld. I would be willing to bet money. Oh on yeah, that. no, Microsoft's so, not touching that. With Nintendo's pretty much conquered that market with the Switch, and everything else is going to be on mobile. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this sort of shakes out in the years to come. I, yeah, it will be, uh, for sure. I just. I do still see, like, that leaves this huge gap in my mind. There's no room for the 3DS developer anymore. So if if Nintendo's really serious about the console hybrid idea, then the 3DS developers just kind of fold into the sort of Wii U developers, I guess, if that's how you want to think about right, it. Right, but that's know. just too... A, a 3DS studio, a 3DS game's budget is going to be lower than a console. Right. Budget. So, and we've talked about this before. I don't know if you. We talked about. I don't know if you know this, but there are certain Switch games that only work in handheld mode. Oh, really? There's handheld only Switch games. So I feel Why? like. Why? Because those were probably intended to be handheld games. Okay, but that just seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot, feature-wise. I mean, but that's. Or does it use the touchscreen? Okay, that would. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what games specifically do it, but like that opens up that avenue for those developers to kind of just seamlessly transition onto Switch without too much hassle, I think. Right, but it's still, like, <clears throat> that doesn't help, like, bad assets look better in low resolution, and developing for that low resolution is just no longer an option, really. I mean, but why couldn't it be? Like, why couldn't you just have, like... Because you're going to look like an idiot. A th- no, but, but, like, if your game's fun, like, does how your game look really matter? That's yeah. never been... I don't think Nintendo's been too big on that. And okay. I, they're game, they've, they're having... very successful. Having a good resolution, good lighting, good good graphics is not important. Having a good aesthetic is. Right. Like, if and I look I don't at a think, game... And I don't think the resolution and the lighting... I mean, obviously, it contributes to aesthetic, but, like, like, you can have a good aesthetic without those you things. You could get away with being worse on, on a mobile game... Or not on a mobile, on a portable console than you could on a home console. And the N- Nintendo Switch has effectively destroyed that space. And maybe maybe that's fine. Like, maybe... We didn't really want that space to be there to begin with, but 
I, I don't know. I mean, it, it hurts the ecosystem. And It'll just make it how... that much more exciting in 15 years when it becomes cool to, like, make handhelds again. And, like, everyone, you know, like, oh, yeah, these I mean, things, are yeah. like, they, they work like yo-yos. Right. What's old will become cool one day. I have heard, um, this, is, this is totally conjecture, but I've heard theory that Nintendo is going to release a virtual console-only portable. Uh, just rumors. I would be kind of mad if they did that. Really? Why can't they just put their virtual console on, like, the Nintendo eShop for their Switch? Well, no, I want I want the Switch to have a virtual console, but I would not say no to, like, a smaller handheld that is I mean, just virtual th- console. Th- that makes sense with what they're doing with the SNES Classic and, like, yeah, all of that. Right? So, like, I think they're definitely going in that like, direction. When they release the Game Boy Classic, it's going to play everything. They've already filed, like, patents for N64 Classic and stuff. I don't know if you've seen that. I have not that's seen that. That's definitely coming next year. Okay. Yeah. I, that's not super surprising. But yeah. I swear to God, if it has Donkey Kong 64 on it, I will I will buy it in a heartbeat. Do you, does it that, won't do you think, because rare. How close know? do you think they're going to get? Like, how... How far, like, are they going to do a GameCube classic? I mean, probably. I don't know. Right? Like, I would love a Game. I would love a GameCube Mini. You know, like GameCube was one of my favorite consoles. But, but like, if they get all the way to the Wii, then yeah, suddenly... then it's sort of just redundant. <laughs> Wii U Classic. Yeah, <laughs> like no, not really. Yeah. I wouldn't really consider that a classic. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll stop after N sixty four, or maybe they'll stop when they get to the HD era. I feel like that might make sense. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but yeah, we kind of veered off topic, so I yeah. think we should just move on to the last one. I agree. I want to bring up something before. Sure. Because they could release a Donkey Kong 64 on the N64 Classic. Because while Rare made the game, Nintendo owns the entire IP. So all the games that Rare made for them with Donkey Kong, they own. Is that they, how that works? Yeah, they recently re- they released uh, Donkey Diddy Kong Racing on the DS. Was Donkey Kong Country on the SNES Classic? Maybe. Because if not, I mean, I feel like that's the... I feel like they can't because Rare legal issues. That's my Man. what my gut... I mean, it'll, they re, they re-released Diddy Kong Racing after Rare was bought up by Microsoft. Microsoft. Well, Microsoft and Nintendo have been kind of friendly lately, so I wouldn't be surprised if like they worked something out. Like the only thing Rare did in their re-release of Diddy Kong Racing, or Nintendo did in their re-release, was cut out all the Rare characters, which was just Conker and Banjo. Hmm. I have uh, I have one more point to make uh, okay. in regards to Animal Crossing uh, Pocket Camp. Classic Nintendo move thinking that they could pull off a soft release in only Australia. Like, what? literally... What the, was the logic behind that? Uh, I think they just wanted to, like, work out the bugs first and stuff before they released <laughs> worldwide. Australians like, beta test this. But, like... That's really funny, actually. I was able to download it the day after the Nintendo Direct. Like, you know, yeah. somebody just ripped the APK and yeah. uploaded it, and I was like, oh, don't mind if I do. I and honestly think it was an accident that re- Nintendo released it in Australia. I don't. I don't think that. That's think really kind of like that'd be an well, insane. That's accident. such such an insult to like Australian fans. Kind of, they're just like, here, find all the bugs for us, and then we'll release it to the rest of the world. I mean, and Nintendo's always like to do their um, regional releases and stuff, and I I just feel like it's insane that in the year of our Lord 2017, they're still trying that. No one does that anymore. Yeah, Nintendo's crazy. You know? I think that's the best statement to sum up this segment. Yeah. All right. So our last topic is going to be sequels in video games. Yeah, just like movies, video game sequels, to me, it seems, seem to follow the same sort of arc. Where, like, the first one is, like, okay, it's a class. It turns into a classic. It might not be the most sound mechanically or anything, but, like, it's still beloved by people who look back on it. The second one is usually, you know, like, the, oh, my God, I can't believe this is this good. And then the third one is just sort of, like, it's good, but meh, right? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. 
that's the sort of law for trilogies and movies, and I feel like it really applies to games as well. Yeah, I um, I think that's true. I'm I'm sitting here thinking of Street Fighter, and um, nobody's ever heard of Street Fighter one, really. Yeah. Like it was only an arcade cabinet. I don't even think it came to like the NES or the Super NES. Right. But then <clears throat> Street Fighter two came out. Everybody loved it, and you also don't really hear about Street Fighter three at all. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like, that's the arc. I think you're right. Yeah, so many, like, uh, just off the top of my head, Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah. First game came out. People loved it. It was such a fresh idea at the time. It, it was it was innovative, but, like, there was were definitely problems gameplay-wise and narrative-wise. And then, like, you, Ubisoft obviously took that feedback in, and then, okay, Assassin's Creed 2 comes out. Instant hit. Yeah, it's still uh, probably cha- to changes this, the open world yeah, game. Yeah, it's forever. still probably yeah. to this day the the most beloved Assassin's Creed game. Uh, it definitely had the most impact on the industry. And then three, no one ever talks about three. I yeah, mean, because it was <laughs> mediocre entirely. In yeah, between yeah. two and three, there were two other games that released. Yeah, like two point five so. and two point eight. I'd probably consider Brotherhood the third game in that series, even though it wasn't number a number right. sequel. And no. Brotherhood did well. So did Revelations. Right. Um. There's a lot of, like, weird politics, almost, I would say, in video game sequels. People, I don't know if it happens as much as it used to, but a lot of times publishers or, or just the holders of IPs will attach an IP to a game even though those games have nothing to do with each other. Um, for instance, Super Smash Brothers was originally going to be a fighter game. This, it's not really a sequel. That was a bad example. Let me change. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 2. As it released in the United States, that was not a Mario game in Japan mm-hmm. at all. It didn't have any Mario characters in it. But they, when they went to release it in the West, they were like, oh, nobody's going to get this. Let's put Mario in it. Yeah, I mean, but that's smart. Yeah. It's not, it, yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes it is. But, like, uh, Street Fighter did the same thing with, uh, uh, before Street Fighter 2 came out, they had Street Fighter 2010, which was a platformer. Yeah. That nobody played. But they, and it had nothing to do. It didn't even have any Street Fighter characters in it. They just attached the title so that they could sell more copies. Yeah, I mean that's definitely a technique used to just get more sales. But obviously, if the if you have a trilogy thought out from the beginning, obviously your games are going to be more cohesive than if you do it that method. But right now, just sort of to a little tangent here, I'm trying to rack my brain and think of an example of where a third game in a series was better than the first two, and I'm having difficulty doing mm, it. I kind of want to say like the third game relative to some series where. I mean, Civilization? Yeah, Civ catches that. Because Civ's always gotten better with sequels. I I don't think a lot of people would agree with that. Because I know... Civ 3 was like, just, one of the best Civs. Just, but just, like, cursory looks at, like, online communities. A lot of people still sw- swear by, like, Civ 4. And, like, when Civ 5... When Civ 6 came out, a lot of people were just like, no, I don't like this. Civ 5's better. So, like, maybe with more iterations, people just develop uh, tastes for I certain mean, games. I mean, Civ 2 was... A garbage, re- a trash fire to many people. Like it wasn't a great sieve, especially some of the expansions, because it was not developed by the original developers and it was just kind of thrown out there. Hmm. And I a lot of people that. were just like, mm, at least I think some of the expansions were. And they're just like, mm. and then three came out and it's like, this is the same game, but you know, better and uh, not as broken. What about Halo? I mean, I know a lot of people swear by Halo 2. A lot of people but... swear by Halo 2, but looking back, I would say Halo 3 is yeah. the king of all Halo, Halo games. Halo 3 is the high point of the series. Yeah. Halo 2 kind of introduced some of the elements that were in 3, but it also had some Halo issues. T- I think Halo 2 was more impactful on the games industry, 
but Halo 3 was the best game. Yeah, I think Halo that's how 2 I want to put that. Halo 2 cemented the multiplayer in Xbox Live as a thing, and Halo 3 kind of took it and ran with it and improved on every aspect of Halo 2. Like, there's parts that you didn't like. It's like, oh, I don't like this part, and then it improved upon it. Yeah, that's a really good example, actually. Um, I'm satisfied with that answer. Super Mario Bros. did the same thing. Because uh, Super Mario Bros. 1, I mean, it's a classic, but mm-hmm. it's very, very simple. Super Mario Bros. 2 or the Lost Levels, which was Super Mario Bros. 2 in Japan, both of those, they're pretty good. But then you look at Super Mario 3, and, like, if you've been playing the first two, that game's going to blow your mind. Right. It's so good. Have you guys played it? I haven't. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it later in my games I've been playing. I'd also say, like, they're, like Total War games, every single Total War game has gotten better. And they've there's, like, nine of them or ten. They've been doing it for a while. And... There's only been a couple occasions where this game, where a game has gone backwards, and even then, it's just because you know the devs messed something up somewhere along the line, or they tried something dangerous. Right. So that kind of like leads into something interesting I've been thinking about. Do you guys think that it it would be smart that after a certain number of sequels in an IP to just end it and start a new IP, even if you're like, even if the developers like really attached to it? Because like I feel like, yeah, you can introduce new things with each new game, but like there's obviously it's obviously not going to be as creatively robust as a brand new idea, brand new IP. I do. I think I think I feel like once the developers feel like they're having trouble coming up with new ideas, that is absolutely when you should quit. And I'm going to cite Spyro there. Um, Insomniac, I think. Insomniac. Yeah, Insomniac yeah. and Naughty Dog Data crash. Yeah, Insomniac did Spyro 1 through 3, and after Spyro 3, like they had people asking when the next Spyro was going to come, and they're like, "Uh no, we're done." They yeah. they like jetted the IP out. Did like, everything here, we could this. do. And then uh, people were like, "No, we need more Spyro." And they and, gave and it to the dragon what happened. And yeah, See, it's atrocious it's, it's a vicious cycle because people well, Heroes Tale was good. People are like, okay. "Yeah, we need more Spyro or yeah, we need more of this game." And yeah, okay, maybe if you complain enough, you'll get it. But then eventually the creators are just going to get burned out and would you rather see your beloved franchise go off on a high note, high note or just, like, descend into mediocrity? Right, right. like, Mega Man kind of... You had your Mega Man 1 through 8, I think, are the classic ones. And, like, towards the end there, they were getting pretty sloppy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just stopped making them because they, they were very sloppy. People weren't doing it anymore. And then, like, 10 years later, some, something crazy, they did 9 and 10 on the Wii. And, like, they had given it time to rest, and then they released these games, and they were actually very good. Because they had, like, given it time. Yeah. I think, and that's like a, I think it's a very rare instance in the gaming industry, seeing, like, developers actually, like, move away from something they, like, something amazing they've made and just try something completely new. Just because, and I totally understand that, like, you want to make money, obviously. A new idea is always more risky than, like, a sequel to a successful IP, right? Right. But um, I think uh, one example that just pops up, in my mind, is Naughty Dog. They moved on from Crash um, after the PlayStation 1 era. They moved on from Jack after the PS2 era. And Nate Drake is holding them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Uncharted's 1 through... Uncharted, though. I, Unch- so, so there's Uncharted's 1 through 4, and then that spin-off. Or not the spin like the... It's... The a, Chloe, the game that just came out. I want to so, say it's a spin-off. Yeah, so, and I would think, like, just by the tone of... Uncharted 4 and like how it ended without getting into any spoilers I would think that's a perfect way to end the franchise but obviously I mean Sony could come to Naughty Dog and be like hey here's a truckload of money 
make more Uncharted. I mean, I, and I mean, I wouldn't fault them for doing it, but I kind of hope that they test their creative metal in a new way. I would posit another reason that they would keep making Uncharted games, and that is because the difference between the PlayStation 1 and the PlayStation 2 technologically is massive. Right. Like, the, the graphics fidelity. Oh, I see where you're And then PS2 at. to PS3, it's also massive. But not PS3 But PS3 to, to PS4, not really. Yeah, like, I, there's I, nothing I you can totally do on a PS4 that you couldn't do on a PS3. You can I totally just do it better. agree with that, yeah. That's where I think right now we're going to get stuck in a rut with a lot of IPs. Yeah. It's an interest. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't want to say we're approaching, like, the ceiling for power, but, like... We're not going to see a leap like from like the 8-bit era to the 16-bit era, you know. I'm going to disagree with that too, though. Oh, really? Because Why is that? Virtual reality. But um, I think, um, I think that increase in power is going to make VR easier to develop for, and also like more available to other people. So that's going to be our next big leap, because increasing the number of polygons on a flat screen eventually is going to not matter at all anymore. So I agree with you, but I also kind of want to posit the notion that, like, I do still think that VR is not going to be, like, it's not going to be the, like, the logical next step forward. I think it's, I think of it as, like, a step sideways. Like, we'll have our VR games and, like, traditional games as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But I just don't think technologically, I just don't see where we're going to go from here. Because, like, I... I don't care about 4K at all, <laughs> like, and I'm a PC gamer. Have you ever played in 4K? I have. I've been to your house. Yeah, I've played on your 4K TV, okay. and it just, I, I just don't care about it that much. Like, the difference between 720 and 1080 is huge to me, but on a monitor, the difference between 1080 and 4K is much smaller to mm. me. So I think that's the wall we're up against. And we kind of went off on a tangent here. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, I'm like, bring where it did back we... sequels yeah. a little bit. But... I do, um, I, I kind of want to plug something real quick. Um, sure. The best talk about sequels I've ever seen is uh, Sequelitis on YouTube by Ego Raptor. And um, I think everybody should watch his video <coughs> on Mega Man X. I don't necessarily agree with all the points he makes on his Ocarina of Time video, but his Mega Man X video is amazing. Those might be the same video, and he make, he compares the two. I forget. I don't think they are. Mega Man was its own video. The Ocarina of Time was one he took a long time to do. Okay, but it's it's very but, good. It's a very good analysis of sequels. Nice. But, uh, bringing it back to sequels, there's some cases, like, look at the first Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. Infinity War did not originally want to make a sequel to that, but Activision was like, it was really popular, piles of money, and they made two more games. Where I mean, they, what, are, they what are you talking about? They make a Call of Duty game every year. I mean... <laughs> Infinity Ward was not wanting to make sequels. They were just like, this is going to be a standalone game, just like every other Call of Duty had been before that, which mm-hmm. is its own game. Right, and then yeah, that was the first time they did the whole, like, Black Ops 1, Black Activision Ops Activision was like, just like, here's, there's a pile of money waiting for you if you do two more. That's why, at the end of Modern Warfare 1, it kind of just ends on a zero sequel I chance. Think, I think Call of Duty can be a topic unto itself. Yeah. Because it's such a massive, like, it's an unprecedented force, like, in gaming. It is. It's bananas. Yeah, maybe we can do. I mean, we can make. We can maybe have a topic on that. And next. It has a million sequels. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about like games that should have ended really a lot sooner than they did. Halo. Halo should have died after Reach. They should have just let it die. I think it should have ended after three. Man. Like, yeah, Reach was still a good game. It introduced enough that it was a good sequel. And but once the second Bungie left, they should have just been like, okay, we'll shelve Halo for a while. We'll not touch it. We'll let people not be tired of it because four was atrocious compared to three. 
I agree that three four three game. is three four three has not been able to do as well. Yeah, as they Bungie haven't. And Bungie, well, Bungie has like mythical status. There's not many. I feel like not many people who can compete with Bungie. I mean, look, looking at Des- Destiny Two shouldn't happen. Destiny should have went the route of you know Warframe, where they're just like let's add more content onto this game and kind of evolve it. But it happened, and they kind of took it some steps down in some directions and some steps up in another. I kind of agree with you there um, about Destiny 2, but that's because Destiny 1 was made at such a weird time, kind of, because it wasn't really a next-gen game and it wasn't really a Mm -hmm. previous-gen game. I think if they'd waited a year or two before they released Destiny 1, Destiny 2 would not have happened this gen. I also, yeah, Destiny 2, like we were talking about, like the second game in a series always like being leaps and bounds above the first. I don't think that's the case with Destiny 2. Destiny 2, I mean, a lot of people say this and get flack for saying this, but it really does feel like Destiny 1.5 to me. Like, it doesn't feel like... It just feels like the first game with basically, like, a bunch more expansions thrown onto it. That's how I personally feel about it, which is fine to me. Like, I love Destiny, and I love the idea of it as a service. I just don't know if it merited a sequel. But we already kind of talked about that a little bit last week. Right. Do you guys have any other thoughts on sequels? Uh, I think we should all just say our favorite game sequel. Uncharted 2. Oh Easily. That's that's a good one. Oh, boy. That's a difficult one. Give me more time. Uh, I think I'm going to go Super Mario Bros. 3. Sarcastically, I'd say Sonic 06, but, you know. Well, <laughs> that's a reboot, that's, not a sequel. Uh, it's still in the chain. But, really, my probable favorite sequel is... Oh, there's too many. Uh, you know, Door Fortress is a sequel. Yeah, but... It's uh, Slaves to Arma, God of War Yeah, two. but no one... <laughs> it's so different. It's not even leaps and bounds. It's more like, this is a whole other game. We just kind of wanted to link the two together. Yeah. It's a case of the IP just being tacked on. Right. Even though it's not really an IP. Even though, yeah, it wasn't a valuable intellectual property but, at all. Uh, it's just a developer who didn't want to come up with another title. I don't know. I want to say Assassin's Creed 2, but... That's a pretty good that's pick. A, yeah, that's yeah. a fair pick. Yeah. There's a lot of sequels I've played that I've really enjoyed. All right, to keep talking about games, because we always end by talking about the games we played, slash games we recommend. Um, I'll start off by mentioning one that I think pretty much everyone on the planet has played at this point, Minecraft. Oh, yeah. You don't even talk that long about that one. My friend started a server on the PS4 a while back. This is a few months ago, uh, and I've just sort of intermittently been playing that just to kind of relax. And it is just so much fun. And I, and the constant stream of updates keep it sort of fresh. But it's not even that. It's just Minecraft inherently is just such a replayable game. Like, it might be the most replayable game of all time, I would say. Due to the nature of, like, how it generates worlds with the seed value and all of that, like, each world feels like a completely fresh experience almost. And that coupled with all the mods out for it, like, Minecraft is sort of like the gift that never stops giving. Oh, yeah. And especially, like, on the server that my friends started. Like, there, I have a few friends who quite regularly play on it, and it's, like, sort of crazy because we've built, like, these huge structures, and it actually looks like a civilization, like, has lived in that world. And it's just sort of cool seeing that come up over time. And, yeah, I mean, like, it's... It's a game that I never really get tired of. Like, I could always go back to and play it. Yeah, it's very soothing uh, to me. Yeah. I actually don't like building in Minecraft that much, but just, like, I like seeing what other people have built, and I like gathering resources and stuff. I'm very... I find mining in Minecraft to be very zen, kind of. Yeah. 
I also, um, I've been playing it recently as well, and I'm really, really enjoying that cross-platform multiplayer that you don't get to use because you have a PS4. Yeah, that could be a topic too. That's, uh, for people who aren't aware, Microsoft, who owns Minecraft, um, has opened up cross-platform play between Xbox, PC, and Nintendo. And uh, mobile. And mobile, and the only platform that isn't doing it is Sony because Sony's being a butt about the whole situation. Microsoft's reached out to them multiple times trying to get, like, reach and understanding, but Sony refuses to let the cross-platform play happen. Think of the children. Yeah, that's their whole thing. We'll get into it later. For the kids. But, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Minecraft, and I'll pass the torch to someone else now. Very good game. Uh, I'll go next, and I've, I've already name-dropped it a couple of times. I've been playing Super Mario Bros. 3. And um, before, like, a year ago, I didn't know that there were good NES games. Like, everything I'd played was, like, at my uh, at my cousin's house. Like, I'd played, like, these platformers with controls where, like, you would hit A and you would jump, like, a second later. Like, they were just so sticky. I can just imagine, like, after you said that, every, like, anyone over 30 listening to this just, like, oh, yeah. broke I'm, their phone. I'm or... 20 years old. Yeah. My, first, my first game console was a Super NES, and I think, you know, by the time I got it, Super, Super Mario 64 had already been released and stuff. So I moved on to the N64 pretty quick. But um, I didn't think games really got good until the uh, Super NES came out. And, uh, man, I was wrong. I've been playing... Uh, I'll also say I, I think the Mega Man games are fantastic uh, now that I've delved into NES games a little bit. But Super Mario Bros. 3 did a lot of things that were just crazy. Like, you had, you had like diagonal scrolling, which hadn't been a thing really before that. Like, you could either go up and down or you could go sideways. It hadn't really combined the two yet. And, you know, that, uh, there's a whole lot of technical mumbo-jumbo I've been reading about that goes into that. But, like, it just, it's so much game. Like, honestly, I think I like it more than Super Mario World, which is the Super NES Mario. And uh, they just, they first, this is the game that introduced the world map. It introduced, like, being able to save up power-ups. It, um, it had all these cool puzzles in um, the different castles that you had to solve. It had these amazing controls it had like more power-ups than any other mario game ever i feel like like it just had a ton of power-ups so many that recently i've played through the game like 10 times in the past couple of weeks and there are power-ups i've never had a chance to use i just haven't gotten them or i haven't like gotten them at a time when i should use them and it's just crazy crazy that they crammed all of this into an nes game yeah all the secrets hidden in there and stuff it was wild yeah i just love that game so much Really cool. I definitely want to go back and play these old Mario games. My first Mario game, and my first game was Mario 64, so I definitely miss, ah. missed out on a lot. My first video game was Super Mario World on the Super NES. Yeah. It was going to be Star Fox, but I couldn't get the cartridge to work, so it was Super Mario World. What a twist of fate. Yeah. I'd be a totally different person today. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Michael? So uh, I dove back into Warframe, because that game, you could like stop playing it for like a month two months and it's a whole different game yeah really yeah. it's ridiculous how much that game's changed since i started playing it so they update it like really frequently yeah it's you would say. it's probably the poster boy for a living free-to-play game that constantly changes like at one point the parkour system was entirely different and then one update they're like let's completely rework this system and they made it better M- michael i have one question for you and this is the the reason i've never really gotten into warframe is ammo more abundant now uh, it's, yeah. Okay, because back when I played it, I couldn't get through a level without totally running out of ammo and having to use my sword. 
Wow. I just, and yeah, when was that? No, it was probably four or five years ago. That's probably why. Yeah. They've changed so much. Like, the parkour is so much faster. And if you play the game like a normal shooter where you're staying on the ground, you're probably wrong. <laughs> you're probably having a rough day because everything can shoot at you there. If you're jumping around and flying around and not really touching the ground, which isn't hard now, it used to be difficult because the parkour system was kind of obtuse. Now it's a lot more simple to get up in the air and keep moving around. You'll do fine. Like, even, like, the grind has kind of been downtoned compared to when it first released. It's a it's a very good game. Didn't they recently release, like, a musical character yeah, for it? Yeah, musical character was released. They released a glass-based character that I haven't even touched yet for in the new update. Hmm. So like, War- I have the blueprints. I just haven't touched Just it. a sort of overview. Warframe's like a free-to-play game, right? It's a free-to-play space ninja simulator pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like Destiny in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I've heard comparisons. It's third person, right? It is third person. Right, and you uh, you go in and you run these missions and you get loot, basically. Nice. And okay. And then the most, the most recent update was the giant planes of Adolon, which, it, and compared to the normal maps, which are all procedurally generated and very formularic, the planes is one giant map. It's massive. Oh, is it like an open world area? It's pretty open. Hmm. It's not an open world world, but it's massive. Like, getting from one end to the other takes at least a couple minutes, even with your, like, speedy parkour. And you're playing this on PS4? I'm playing it on PC. Okay. It is available on PS4. It's not right? on PS4 yeah. yet. I think it's I not, briefly downloaded it at some point. No, it's on PS4. The update isn't yet. Oh, okay. Planes okay. of Dolan. Yeah. Like, the thing about Warframe is that the PC, it kind of puts all their updates first on PC, and then once they have all the hotfixes out, they send it to console. Okay. Because instead of, you know, releasing it day one... And getting it approved by Microsoft and all that crap. And Sony well, no, and all that crap. this is a Sony, it's a Sony game, isn't it's it? It's not a Sony game. It oh. is independent. Digital so is it out on Xbox? Independent. Yes. I did not know it that. It is on one, Xbox One, PS4, and PC. I thought it was a PS4 exclusive. Nope. With PC. It is, it was a You PC might have been thinking game. about Paragon. That's. I think Paragon's a PS4 exclusive. I don't think that P- is either. PC. Really? I don't think. Okay, I might be wrong. Anyway. But, oh, I'm thinking of PlanetSide. PlanetSide also P- was PC first. Yeah, I knew it was PC first, but I'm pretty sure it came out on PS4 and not on Xbox. It might come out on Xbox sometime in the future, it's, maybe. it's a Sony online entertainment. Not anymore. Really? The Sony online folded. Like, Sony, they completely folded, and they turned into Daybreak. Wow, okay. I didn't so, know that. I haven't kept up with it. Those games can go wherever. But Warframe's really unique in the way, like, the grinding is great. Like, it's fun to grind in that game. It's not like, oh, I have to grind this weapon to 30, because if you really wanted to grind a weapon to 30 real quick... You could do one mission, like late game, late like one mission on a planet, and have that one to thirty grind done in like an hour, or at most, hmm. like it's quick. No, so like respect your time, which is yeah. really cool. Like sure, you have to fight high level enemies, and you can't just grind it. But you could, I go in there with one super powerful weapon and another three people who also have one super powerful weapon, and everything else is under leveled because they're grinding at levels and have it done in two runs of that mission. Hmm. And the mission takes about. 20, 30 minutes to do. You're making me want to play this through. game again. <laughs> it's, it's a load of fun. I've, it's changed so much. Like, the melee system's changed since release. They upgraded that, made it more fun to use a sword instead of just press the melee button over and over again. That's good. And that was it does one slash animation. Now there's combos and Oh, everything. wow. Okay. Yeah, like I definitely need to give this another try then. Like, if you... The last time you touched it was at release. I'd recommend coming back and touching it again because it's changed massively. Like, their parkour system's been overhauled. They have the bullet jump that you can kind of float in midair a little bit. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. It's ridiculous. And the weapons are all usable. It's wonderful. 
I would say I would check it out, but I think those needs are all satisfied by Destiny <laughs> for me. So I mean, eventually, Destiny, you're going to run out of content in Destiny. In Warframe, yeah, I had... I like will stop playing it for a month if I feel like I'm running out of content, and then come back a month later. It's like, oh, I have more content to do. That's really cool that the like the sort of development cycle is that fast. But anyway, I think we're running kind of long, so I'm just going to end it here. I hope to see you guys next week. 